This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, April 19th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. The president has ended a deal that made it easier for Cuban athletes to play Major League Baseball. Why? Dara Lind is a senior correspondent at Vox. We discuss the change and why she believes the president has some difficulty separating governments from the people who must live under them. A lot of great baseball players have come from Cuba. And uh, just to just name a couple here who are current players, Jose Abreu, Giannis Cespedes, uh, Araldis Chapman, Aledmus Diaz, former Cardinal, uh, Yasiel Puig, uh, and several others that many of these have represented Cuba for, as a, on their national uh, baseball team. Um, why has the Trump administration wanted to make it more difficult for uh, these guys to come to the United States? Well, it's the They've stopped, they've blocked a, an agreement that Major League Baseball made with the Cuban Baseball Federation that would have made it easier. So in December of last year, MLB announced that they had made this deal where instead of requiring Cuban baseball players to sneak out of Cuba before they would be able to get signed by a Major League team, which under the terms of the current embargo is required, that they would there would be a way that they could be recruited and signed while still on the island. The Cuban Baseball Federation would get a, a signing fee. That's the way that the U.S. deals with J Japanese baseball players. Um, that was supposed to go into effect. They'd actually already cleared the first list of players who'd be eligible earlier in the month. And the Trump administration, under the terms of the embargo and specifically a State Department ruling, said that the Cuban Baseball Federation was an arm of the Cuban government and that therefore Major League Baseball can't do business with the Cuban government and scotch the whole deal. I was watching uh, this weekend the Reds and the Cardinals playing in Mexico. It seems like Mexico... And to the extent that they do this every year, it seems like Mexico is a great place to have an expansion team if you wanted to make baseball even more international. Europe and Asia are sort of non-starters if, you if you're playing 162 games a year. Right. I mean, yes, the, the Washington Nationals have a AAA team that is three time zones away. And that is, you know, a, a ridiculous impingement on baseball players. But yeah, going laterally north-south makes a lot of sense. All right. So uh, is it? too far to say that this policy, Donald Trump's policy, is could have easily made baseball better, but is making it worse? Well, the thing is that it's not that Cuban players don't get signed by the U.S. It's just that they have to go through an ordeal to do it. Um, you know, there's, for one thing, obviously you have to sneak out of Cuba and you have to sneak out of Cuba without the government realizing that you could be a risk to emigrate, uh, which baseball players are a fairly high profile, you know, it's that's a known category of people who often do international travel during the World Baseball Classic. There has been interest. So you're already under some, you know, some suspicion and you can be incarcerated if they suspect you're going to emigrate. And then even though it's only, you know, 90 miles from Cuba to Florida, if you actually go straight to the U.S., in, if you want to be a baseball player, you have to enroll to enter the standard draft. So you'd be up there against, you know, high school and college players. And you can only, you know, you'd be drafted by a team and then you would be able to negotiate for a contract with that one team. If you resettle in a third country, like Mexico or the Dominican or something like that, then teams come to you. You can actually have a bidding fight among teams. Whoever has the highest offer gives that to you. So, that incentivizes a kind of roundabout route 
the the land route through Mexico that a lot of other Cubans have started to take since the wet foot, dry foot policy got killed in, it, on the last days of the Obama administration. Uh, but it also means that there's a really strong incentive for human traffickers to target you, say they're going to get you out of Cuba, and in exchange, they just need a cut of whatever you get. And then often on the way, extort money from you or more promises of earnings as a condition of getting you safely to wherever you're going. So there's that is that certainly doesn't stop people from coming to the U.S. And in some cases, you know, players like Yaziel Puig have been able to sue the people who, you know, tried to extort them uh, once they got here. But it certainly means that that is going to continue to be a black market thing rather than allowing players to kind of reap the full fruits of their labor. All right. So but from a strategic standpoint, it seems very odd it's, that this yeah, president wouldn't want to drain immediately all of the talent out of Cuba. Well, for one thing, you know, we should be realistic about Donald Trump's interest in the sport of baseball. He is the first president, you know, in modern history not to have thrown out, at least not yet, a first pitch at, a, at, at opening day. He's much more of a, you know, football and golf dude. But also, like, this is the Trump administration in a nutshell on immigration. They have a big, big problem distinguishing between the governments of other countries and their people. Like the very first week of the Trump administration with the first travel ban and the temporary ban on refugees, the fact that the government of, for example, Syria didn't share enough money with the U.S. government was used as a reason not to take people fleeing the Syrian government. There's generally kind of an insistence, and you see this in his complaints that Central American governments don't stop their people from coming. You see this in his complaints about the diversity visa, that countries aren't sending their best people, that they're somehow choosing which people are going to want to go to the United States. It's, you know, the Trump administration and Donald Trump are kind of hard to disaggregate in this regard. Like, administration officials generally understand that governments don't direct their people about what to do. But the idea that punishing the people of a country is punishing their government is very much something that the administration has signed on to. So that's kind of the the view here is that anything that would somehow legitimize the Cuban, you know, the country of Cuba as a legitimate entity with whom to do business is worse than actually helping Cubans get out of Cuba and come to the U.S. Well, we should shouldn't we just make it very easy for these baseball players to get like a skilled worker visa? Because there's no question that if these guys think they they might stand up in, a, in the uh, MLB draft, that they are skilled workers. The there have definitely been a couple of occasions in the last couple of years where players have had some issues with their visas. Um, and I, I don't have those off the top of my head. But it's, you know, one of the problems with most of the worker visas that we have in the U.S. is that you already have to have a job offer, right? Like there's the kind of there's the standard of what does what counts as extraordinary ability for like an O visa. Uh, and then there's the question of, OK, can you demonstrate that you're not going to be a drain on the labor force by already having that offer? So in the MLB context, context, that would mean you would already have to have been drafted or been, you know, able to negotiate a contract, which is less than ideal. Short of that, you're in a much worse position trying to get a visa in general under U.S. immigration law. Uh, and the thing is, like, making this easier, uh, making it easier to allow Cuban baseball players to come to the United States would uh, not require so much bravery on the part of a team to say, we're drafting this guy, even though his country isn't going to let him come. 
Right. I mean, well, you uh, you don't even see people trying to enter the draft with that anymore uh, af- until after they've left, right? Like, there's definitely a kind of sweepstakes atmosphere that erupts whenever somebody does successfully get out of Cuba. And then there's a, you know, oh, it's it's all very exciting because this player who we already know is extremely good at professional baseball as opposed to a lot of draft picks are these young green kids that, you know, you're... Tools players. Right. Yeah, you're, you're taking a bet on their future success. This is much more like getting players out of the Japanese or Korean leagues. You have a very, very high confidence that they're going to be very good. And it's an open market. And so, you know, the question in baseball terms becomes how much who is the team that needs this player the most and how much money are they willing to spend? And it's it's generally good for some real excitement in a way that even you know, domestic players leaving the free agent or you know, leaving for free agency, there's a little bit of there is, a subset of fans who are, I mean, okay, cards on the table. Like, as a Washington Nationals fan, this was not the best offseason for me (laughs) in terms of watching the free agent market and kind of rooting for teams and players to find each other and find the right fit. Um, But when a Cuban player defects, it can feel like a windfall, right? Like, Major League Baseball is getting the benefit of this talent. I mean, I'm sure you remember when, when, say, you know, when Puig came up and everyone was so excited about him. Same as, like, when Ichiro came up and it was so, so great that Major League Baseball was going to get to see this talent. It's certainly from the perspective of the fans, one of the things that makes Major, you know, that that makes MLB great. Um, There's... Not as you know, there does appear to be like some weird levels of culture clash. Like I, you know, there were some quotes from, the, you know, Yasiel Puig has has attracted some kind of criticism about not knowing how the game is supposed to be played. There's a little bit of reticence, I think, from some players about the internationalization of baseball. Well, and Asia has its own uh, differences in how they address the game, how yeah. the game is treated, and how. Uh, how seriously calls are taken in in some cases. I I mean, I'm very, very upset that the uh, influx of Japanese players into MLB and Japanese, their Japanese fan bases with them has not resulted in there being more singing at Major League Baseball games. I was really rooting for that. Well, but it's also, you know, I love the World Baseball Classic. Yeah. And to and to make that uh, kind of event, you know, kind of a downer a little bit because there isn't this free flow of labor within baseball between Asia and yeah. uh, the United States and Canada and hopefully maybe someday Mexico. Yeah, I mean, it's something that the World Cup has that the World Baseball Classic has kind of moved to where, you know, you'll see players who are on the same team in club play you know, playing against each other because the World Cup is when you go home and you play for your national team. There's been a little bit of the reverse of that, right? Like Mike Piazza coaching the Italian baseball team, for example, or the is- Israeli baseball team that's just kind of the the dregs of whatever Jewish American baseball players have come through the MLB system. Um, but there hasn't been as much of the, oh, here are some players who are coming from MLB playing on the Korean baseball team with their you know there there's there's some of that but you're right the there isn't as much of the idea that 
comparable professional leagues. I mean, and this is this is itself a symptom of brain drain, right? Like the fact that MLB is paying a lot more than any other national league is going to pay means that there is really a strong incentive. It's not like basketball where you'll start to see Chinese le- Chinese teams really throwing down ridiculous amounts of money to get talent. Um, but that is something that, you know, it's it's kind of an earned an earned cultural hegemony that Major League Baseball has, where like you'll see Yankees hats everywhere around the country, you know, everywhere around the world. You you were you would see Mariners hats like a bunch of places when Ichiro was, you know, what was playing for the Mariners. So it's you know the Trump administration has never really understood soft power all that well. I think it's fair to say, um, and this is one of those where soft power legitimately might cut in either direction because. If you do believe that the Cuban Baseball Federation is an important prop for the, you know, like for the Cuban regime, then dealing with them might in some way make it seem like, oh, this is an acceptable situation. I don't think that that's exactly I don't that's not my read on it, but you can make a soft power argument either way. It's just that it's not exactly clear that the Trump administration was thinking about it in terms other than this is Cuba. We're trying to take a harder line on Cuba. Obama did this thing, did the State Department decision that the Baseball Federation wasn't aligned with the Cuban government. Now we're going to say it is. Yeah. My view is it's more about people and labor markets. And these guys have, some of them, tremendous talent, and they should be able to get whatever they can command. Well, there's also the question of exit, right? Like the and this is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately in terms of, you know, Central American countries, which obviously are in general have a lot more people coming to the U.S. than Cuba, uh, partly because they can't prevent people from leaving. But, you know, at what point do you say that it's immoral to leave your home country? It seems like there's a lot of that, right? You know, it seems like, oh, if they were really they Trump said during, I think, his latest State of the Union that they should people should stay at home and make their own countries great again. And at what point of immiseration is that no longer a reasonable thing to ask of someone? If somebody is playing on the national Cuban baseball team, but, you know, kind of being imprisoned even when they travel abroad because there's such fear that they will leave the regime. Is it really, you know, isn't there a very compelling global human rights, you know, making America look good argument to saying we're not going to doom you to remain in that in that situation of immiseration? Dara Lind is a senior correspondent at Vox. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 